starting a new series called Gracism. God's grace through the beauty of race. The Sunday following the Charlottesville riots, early in the morning I had prepared a statement to read at our services. For the first time, because I was pretty new, just a few weeks in, for the first time I could feel the weight of responsibility of being a lead pastor, shepherding this wonderful church. The tension in the moment I could feel, my social media feeds were overflowing with opinions of what pastors needed to say. The pressure of creating a statement that I, I wrestled with that would hopefully be understood by everyone and exclude no one. And at the same time, communicating my heart as your pastor to the new church God chose me to lead. Thought about that moment and I wanted to take you back to it because I really believe it was a prophetic moment personally for me and for all of us. And I want to remind you of what was said. Well, I wanted to uh, just say right up front uh, that I count it a privilege to lead this church and realize and recognize the responsibility that comes with it, being one of the most diverse churches uh, in our city. We have a vision to steward and values that we need to live and walk out. And... Uh, Right up front, I want to publicly acknowledge and condemn the hatred and bigotry of the white supremacists and the protests in Charlottesville. You know, it absolutely saddens and grieves my heart, and I know it does yours, when racism continues again and again to rear its ugly head in our nation. And I'm joining pastors all over the city, not just this church, but many churches are looking to us. And it's been laid in the foundation of this church. And I just want you to know, I know that many of you are just getting to know me, maybe even be wondering if I would say anything today, but yes, I'm going to say something, and I've said that. But I just want, don't want to be a pastor that makes a statement. I want to be a pastor that takes a stand. I want us to learn as a church how to respond. You know, there's a lot of things, and rightly so, many leaders and pastors across our nation are using their platforms and social media to speak to the issue which they should. But we, as the church, not only need to say something, we need to do something. You know, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he said, darkness cannot drive out darkness. Only light can do that. He said, hate cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. So how do we respond? Someone sent me this verse this morning through Facebook, it said 1 Corinthians 8 and 1. But while knowledge makes us feel important, it is love that strengthens the church. See, you need to understand that 
God has given us a voice to this city. And I believe that God has given us a voice to this region and nation. But not only has he given us a voice, listen, he is giving us a vision that people will begin to see us walk out. Our love for one another, listen, will impact our city, will impact our communities, will impact our state, will impact our nation. And we have to begin to live this out. We can't just make statements anymore. We must stand. We must stand together. And will you stand with me this morning? Will you all stand with me? Will you lean on? You don't have to stand, don't worry. <laughs> Why do I bring you back to that moment? In fact, you could almost feel the tension that I was just talking to you about. I want you to know that I'm a man of my word, that I'm going to follow through with my commitments that I make to this body. My commitment to God first, my commitment to my family, my commitment to the real life church family. that I have the honor and privilege to serve. You see, God chose me. I didn't choose you. God chose me and you gotta put up with me. <laughs> First Corinthians one twenty six says, remember dear brothers and sisters that few of you were wise in the world's eyes or powerful or wealthy when God called you. Instead, God chose Things the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they are wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. Verse 28, God chose things despised by the world, things counted as nothing at all, and used them, and used them, and used them to bring to nothing what the world considers important. I love this verse because it describes my life perfectly. Before God saved me and called me, my life didn't add up to much. You may be sitting here this morning under the sound of my voice and you might have wandered in here and you might not know God's purpose or plan for your life, but I want you to know God has a destiny for you. You see, before God saved me and called me, my life didn't add up. And I can take no credit for what God has done in me and through me, and I most certainly cannot point to anything I've done to end up where God has currently placed me. Three times in 1 Corinthians verses 26 to 28, it says, God chose things. He chose things. He chose people who in the world's eyes add no great value to the conversation, to the community, or to society's ills. But verse 28 says, he used them. Notice God specializes in, in taking things that seem to be useless and by His grace, He makes them useful. You see, that is my story. And I rest in the fact this morning that He alone qualifies me and equips me for any responsibility that He gives me. 
For this reason alone, I stand in confidence as your pastor and say God has called us as a church to be a voice of hope in a culture that is wrestling with hopelessness. And that is why I felt led to speak to you and kick off this series called Gracism, Discovering God's Grace Through the Beauty of Race. Why speak on the subject of racism when it is so uncomfortable or you can feel sometimes the awkwardness of it? My answer is, why not? If couples attending our churches are struggling in their marriage, we'll preach and teach on relationships. If people in our churches are struggling in their finances, we'll preach and teach on budgeting and giving. If people coming to our churches are biblically illiterate, illiterate, we will preach and teach on doctrine and beliefs. If people in our church are struggling with racial tensions in our community and nation, how many know we need to speak to it? You see, God has given us a voice. With that said, I'm absolutely thrilled about pastoring and leading a multi-ethnic church forward into the future. God has literally been equipping me my entire life to lead, to, to, to place me in leadership in the place that I find myself now. A story I don't have time to tell. As a leader, I know the greatest thing that I can do is to remain a student. Even with the life experiences and God encounters I've had that have brought me from where I was to where I am, I still need to follow and learn. So personally, I want to just update you. I've been continually and actively seeking to become more educated and enlightened on pastoring and leading a multi-ethnic church forward listening and learning and reaching out to other leaders and pastors and asking questions who are farther down the road than we are as a multi-ethnic church. I've been reading uh, several books. One is a book called Gracism, The Art of Inclusion by Dr. David Anderson, who after reading his book, I was inspired to speak on this message. Secondly is a book by Derwin Gray, who was a former NFL player called the HD Leader, building multi-ethnic churches in a multi-ethnic world. The third person God's connected me with, in fact, is a friend of mine I was talking to yesterday, Pastor Ben Daly, who pastors a church of 13,000 or so in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex and is planning multicultural satellites all over the Metroplex area. And then lastly, my friend Darwin Hobbs, who had, when I, just a couple years ago or a year or so ago, I was the only one at Jesus Culture that would wake up at 4.30 in the morning and take him to the airport. But a relationship began. And mentoring began. And for that, I'm grateful. Can we pray this morning? Father, may your passion to bring heaven and earth through the finished work of Jesus by the Spirit's power. Inspire us to have a fresh vision for the church. A vision that truly reflects a church that looks like heaven. A gospel vision of love, grace, and re reconciliation. Father, give us faith, courage, and above all, love, so we can fulfill this sacred task that you have placed in our hands. 
We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. In Acts 1 verse 8, and I'm going to give you an overview today of where we're going the next several weeks. The upper room, we're, in, we're found in the upper room and they're praying and God tells them they will have power and they will be witnesses for him when the Holy Spirit comes. How many of you know we need the Holy Spirit? And as they're praying, you come out of Acts 1 and you get to Acts 2. In Acts 2, you see this beautiful thing happening. You get what I call divine integration. We see God begin to build the New Testament church. Have you ever heard that? We want to be like the New Testament church. That is, that is a church that's not built by human hands, but it's built by God's Spirit. You see, God, what God builds is not by human ingenuity, but by divine design. And when He builds it, He builds it with people from many different groups and cultures. Acts. So in Acts 2, after they prayed in Acts 1, all of a sudden the power of the Holy Spirit falls and pay attention. You have people from over 15 different ethnic groups all hearing the gospel in their own language. Acts 2.5 says this, Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. How many you know one of our taglines here is a church? It's a church that looks like heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. This was the first church that looked like heaven. It's a biblical pattern. It's a biblical model. Acts 2.11 says that they all declared the wonders of God, much like we were this morning. That is the language of the believer. Declaring worship and the wonders of God, whatever color, class, or culture you are. The multi-ethnic church, and this is what I want us to get this morning, the multi-ethnic church is God's original design. It is birthed by the work of the Holy Spirit. What I want you to see up front is that it's not a method of man, it's a man, it's God's mandate for the church. Can you put up the slide that says 13.9%? 13.9%, I was shocked at this statistic. 13.9% of churches today, only 13.9% of churches today are multi-ethnic. That means 86.1% are homogeneous. What I want us to begin to understand as a church and as a body is that we are part of something supernatural and God-breathed. You see, go ahead and put your hands together. I've heard it my entire Christian life. We want to be like the New Testament church. Yet it was hardly ever emphasized that the first megachurch, the first divine integrated church, the inauguration of all churches was multi-ethnic. It was, it was a miraculous thing that God did. And how do you know God is still working the multi-ethnic miracle today? But we have to continue to see it expand. 
From that point on, we have many divisions and many denominations and many churches that have broken apart based on color, class, and culture. And we even live in a world, as we know, that is very polarized and divided. So how can we, as a church, be a unifier when we ourselves are so divided at times? What do we, as believers, do with the racism and other cultural issues that confront us every day. This last week, Real Life sponsored an event this past Thursday night called Q Commons. That is a gathering and a call to Christian leaders to have conversations around hot button topics in our culture with the ultimate goal of bringing Transformation. How many know if we're going to see transformation in our city, in our country, it starts out with healthy conversation. It just doesn't happen. Yes, God can override. Yes, God can do something supernatural and intervene, but we must have conversations. Fifteen leaders from real life went to the event because it is my hope, as my friend D'Angelo Mack, who attends RLC, has encouraged me that we will have healthy and courageous conversations outside a Sunday morning context. You see, I want to see Christ-centered conversations as your pastor that will continue after the sermon, into the restaurants, into your homes, so that we become stronger and more unified as a church. Not just on Facebook, hello, but face to face. Amy and I have had the privilege of going over your homes, those of you that invited us and cooked us food we've never ate before. And just to get to know your stories has been amazing. To hear your stories of what God has done and how He's redeemed your life, it's been absolutely amazing. Pastor David Anderson, or Dr. David Anderson, the author of the book Gracism, he came up with that phrase. It's not my own, but I thought it was really cool. But let me explain what gracism is. But before I do, let me just say this. My intention is not to oversimplify a very complex problem and issue in racism but instead over the next few weeks equip us with practical tools so when we use them we will build up the people around us look to somebody around you and say we're gonna build one another up a few definitions again these are simple racism to speak act or think negatively about someone else solely based on their color class or culture Grace is defined as God's positive extension of favor on people regardless of color, class, or culture. It's literally God's extension of favor on people. Something you can't earn, something you can't, you can't, you don't deserve, and something you can't repay. How many are you thankful for the grace that flows from the cross of Christ? So Dr. David Anderson says, if you take the word grace, and you take the word racism and put them together, you get gracism. Gracism is to extend God's positive favor to people regardless of their color, class, 
or culture. How many know we need to see gracism unfold in our midst? You see, the grace that overflows from the cross of Christ reveals God's love for every color, class, and culture. 1 Corinthians 1.18, if you think I'm lying, it says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. You see, God extends favor that we do not deserve, nor can we earn it, nor can we repay it, but he also extends grace to the human race. He comes into our world and he extends favor to everyone. Everybody say everyone. So what can we do? What can we do if God is calling us truly to be a voice in this community, a voice in this region, a voice in this nation, which I really believe he is? What can we do? If we want to help race relations in our country and in our world, if we want to help build a bridge and be on a mission for God, then we have to become what past Dr. David Anderson calls a gracist. Or if you want a more biblical term, because I'm all about biblical terms, an ambassador of reconciliation. Over the next few weeks, we're going to dive into 1 Corinthians 12. You can turn there in the Bible or it's up on the screens. Paul in this letter to the Corinthians is basically telling people how to get along. How many of you have ever had to been told how to get along? How many of you have brothers and sisters? Mom and dad had to tell you how to get along. You had teachers or coaches that had to tell you, encourage you to get along. Paul is basically in his letter telling the Corinthians how to get along when they come together. In chapter 11, uh, the previous chapter, he confronts the divisions among them and teaches spiritual authority and order. How many know we need spiritual authority and order? And then he talks about communion, the Lord's Supper. And he basically tells them to make sure everyone gets something to eat at the church potluck. And then in chapter 12, yeah, my brother said amen because he's gotten, he's one of those guys that didn't get any food, right? In chapter 12, he talks about spiritual gifts. Look at verse 4. It says, now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Paul is saying, you guys have been divided over some stuff, but you need to know that regardless of your distinctions, you need to realize that there are members, you are members of one body. You may have different parts, but you are members of one body. 1 Corinthians 12, 12, and I'm not going to read the entire passage this week, but we're going to go all the way, I believe, to verse 20. Seven throughout the next few weeks, but I'm going to read verse 12 and 13. Just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we are all baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slave or free, 
And we are all given the one spirit to drink. That's the English Standard Version. Notice Paul from the very beginning as he begins to give this illustration of a body and how we should be able to get along. Notice at the very beginning, Paul inserts and addresses class, color, and race out of nowhere. What is Paul doing? Paul evidently wants us to think about the divisions that are among the body that he mentions in chapter 11. Verse 11 and 17, it's not on the screen, but it says this. He says this, In the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. Verse 18, For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. You see, it's clear Paul is using the illustration of the body as an example to talk about unity within diversity. How many know unity within diversity is possible? We experience it every week. He's not sugarcoating it and he's saying, let's just all be one. No, he's saying, let's talk about it. He puts it right there and says, we're going to talk about it and we're going to deal with it. As a church, we have to learn how to talk about it. We have to learn how to deal with difficult issues. And the way we do, and the way we do that is grasping a hold of God's grace. How many know it's only by God's grace? You see, when we do grasp God's grace, we begin to embrace the beauty of God's people. It's awkward. Sometimes it's uncomfortable. But it makes us stronger when we get it down. One of the things that our staff is learning is conflict resolution. I have the gift, I think I told you several weeks ago, I have the gift of avoiding conflict. <laughs> but over the last several years, and I told you this, especially at my time at Jesus Culture, I learned how to have healthy conflict. Everybody say healthy conflict. Listen, it just doesn't help. It just didn't help me in my personal life. It helps me in my marriage. It helps me on my job. It helps me in my church. And a lot of times, listen, we're getting all these great tools outside of the four walls, but we don't have them inside the four walls. And we need to learn to have healthy conversation. But as a staff, as I mentioned, we're just learning this. We're just, how do we have healthy conflict? Not all conflict is bad. Sometimes it's just a misunderstanding. Sometimes it's me needing to adjust to your needs. Or maybe you're reading me wrong. Or maybe I'm reading you wrong. But it's an understanding that has to come. But we have to work at it. Everybody say, we have to work at it. You see, Paul understood the issues of race and class that were dividing the Corinthians. He wanted people who were different to know they could come together and create healthy community. Next week, we'll continue on in the passage. That is a beautiful thing. Whether you are Jew or Greek, black or white, Asian or Hispanic, Indian or Arab, whatever your ethnicity or background is, we can all come to Jesus Christ and find equality, grace, and beauty at the cross. Amen? 
So how can we begin to operate in this thing called gracism? Can I just give you seven things? Dr. David Anderson calls these seven sayings of a gracist. <clears throat> I'm saying, I, I'm kind of want to rename them to the seven commitments of a church that looks like heaven. Can I give them to you real quickly? Number one, I will lift you up. Has to do with special honor. Lifting up the humble among us. Number two, I will cover you. Has to do with special modesty, protecting the most vulnerable among us from embarrassment. Number three, I will share with you no special treatment. Refusing to accept special treatment if it is at the detriment of others who need it, I will share with you. Number four, I will honor you. Greater honor, greater honor to the humble. I will stand with you. No division. When the majority helps the minority and the stronger help the weaker, it keeps us from division in the body. Number six, I will consider you has to do with equal concern. When the majority helps, I'm sorry, having a heart as big, having a heart as big for our neighbors as we do for ourselves. And number seven, I will celebrate with you, rejoices with you. When the humble or less honorable are helped, we are to rejoice with them. I believe when we begin to see these actions take place, we will begin to put substance behind the substance, behind the statements we make. I'm going to ask my friend Darwin to come. And I've asked him just to share his heart because he is being used as a mouthpiece to the body of Christ, I believe, at this pivotal, pivotal time. And I've just asked him to come and just share his heart for a few minutes on why it's important for us as a church to talk about these things. And you welcome Darwin and thank him as he comes. How's everybody doing? Can y'all give God praise for your pastor, for, for Dean? So, I, somebody just say 100. That's how I am. I keep it 100. So don't, you can't be offended by nothing I say. Now, the clap y'all just gave, that was whack. Let me tell you why it was whack. Because I've been probably in every, I don't say every, but probably every major mega, whatever that means, church in this country. And I've sang and led worship along probably all the famous hipsters. Somebody who recognizes and is grateful to God for putting you in this place to walk alongside this man I want you to give it up I'm not asking you to reference him I'm asking you really to give glory to God because let me tell you something 
This is not happening all over the place. People are scared and they're nervous and they are uncomfortable. I'm uncomfortable. Dean asked me, man, I want you to get up here and share your heart about, and I was like, I, I, he, and I'm not lying, you, you're standing right there. I was like, I don't want to talk about race today. I was like, I don't feel like talking about it because when I talk about it, racism and all of this stuff, it just excesses a part of me that sometimes I don't feel like making available. Sometimes I just want to be able to come to church and say I came to church and do my thing and rock it out and hit the home run and sing these songs and go to Cracker Barrel. And I said, man, I'm on the road. I miss my wife and my baby. And Dean wants me to get up here and talk about racism and gracism. I just want to come sing and bounce. But I, I, I've been on this. I've, been, I've given myself and I've availed myself to this. And I've braved the waters of reconciliation for like over 20-something years. And it started back when I, uh, I started being, you know, in the record business and the music business. And I started recording albums. But really when I started, I was a background singer for, for an artist named Michael Card. And, you know, I mean, back, let me just tell you, back then, I mean, I, I weighed 456 pounds. And, 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 and somebody should give God praise for 313 today. I'm 313, and I'm, I'm next time, in Jesus' name, maybe next time I come, I'll be able to fit this jacket Dean has on. You give me that jacket if I can. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm on a journey, man. I'm trying to stay alive. And, um, and sometimes, you know, we feel like that's not godly either, but I, I think if you're not being practical, you ain't being godly either. So some of us, we just is filled with the Holy Ghost, but we got one foot in the grave, man, one foot on a banana peel because we're not being disciplined with our lifestyles. Y'all can leave me out there all by myself if you want to, but some, some of y'all got these same issues. I'm just encouraging you, man. I'm telling you, it's not easy. I like food. And speaking of culture, man, y'all know in our culture, well, we can throw down in the kitchen. And, <laughs> and, 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 and so it's hard for me, man, just to, to, to pursue that health and wellness. But, but I'm on a journey, and, and it, it, it required my wife and I, we were married for, for 20, well, we were married 25 years next year, but we were at a 20 year mark. We didn't have any kids. And we just went to all kind of doctors, man, like, we want to get pregnant. What's wrong? And they said, there's nothing wrong. Really, the only thing that's wrong with both of you is that you struggle with obesity. And 45%, especially of women, 45% of women that are obese, they'll never achieve a pregnancy because of the, the off-balance that's happening in their body with hormones and everything. And even with men, with your hormones, because if you got too much adipose tissue and stuff, it, it, it messes with your testosterone and all this. So we decided we would take this weight loss journey. My wife, when she lost 110 pounds uh, at 40, five years old she got pregnant and so Bethany is her name and I don't want to talk too long about her because then I'll start crying man I just miss her so much but uh, she'll be four next year and Tracy and I'll be turning 50 <laughs> uh, and we've been best friends since fifth grade man so we are we are your modern-day Abraham and Sarah and um, but it's all good it's uh, um, so, but, but, but.
But I started this journey years ago. I was singing with Michael Card, and maybe y'all don't know who that. Y'all ever heard the song El Shaddai, El Shaddai? Well, he wrote that song, and I mean, I was man. I'm again. I'm telling you, I was I was 400, and I was I was with him in Ireland and Scotland, and man, I was standing there in these churches, and this is the first time for me with this and these big cathedrals. This was really high church, and I was standing up there, man, with him, and I mean, I was the only brown thing in the room. But I was just, I all knew to show up because I'm wired just to be me. So I mean, I ain't never met y'all either, but I don't know how to, I don't know how to be no other way. This is just me. And so I showed up like that in Ireland. I stayed at this house, Dean, this lady, this guest house. We didn't stay in a hotel. And this lady, <laughs> we were going to go to bed and she said, Darwin, have sex in the morning. And I said, what are you talking about? And she was telling me at half six, she was going to wake me up. I said, what kind of hospitality you got going on here? She said, Darwin, have sex in the morning. I said, what devil? She was saying half six, because that's how they say it. 6.30. <laughs> that's, and that just shows you I was out of, man, I was out of my comfort zone. I didn't know what, I mean, I, it was my first time on an airplane. I went on, I mean, this is all in the same. So I gave myself, I've given myself to reconciliation and, and I never wake up at 6.30 ever because it just, it, it haunts me. But, uh, <laughs> and I will tell you that it's the most, one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever had to do. And, 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 and you're called to the same thing. Some people feel like it's just this, you know, this tailored call for some people. Well, you're called, people, my friends tell me, yeah, Darwin, you're called, you hang out with the white churches or, you know, you hang out with the white singers. Because, I mean, when I started in this business, you know, I, I was singing for Michael Card and Michael W. Smith and Amy Grant and Jars of Clay. I mean, these were all the people. And I, I was, and I just, that's just where it landed for me because I like all kinds of music. But then when I started recording music, then it was... Uh, Fred Hammond produced my album and so then I kind of just fit into this black gospel as they called it then you know genre you know so but I still man when I show up to do what I do in settings like this I'm just me and I feel like it's really just a sound of heaven that I produce and I think that that that's what I've been called to and that's what I'm still committed to but the most uncomfortable one of the most uncomfortable things is when I walk outside this door and that and have to give my life to people like him because it's easy for me to say that's why I encourage y'all and I issued a challenge to y'all to multi-ethnic church that's great but it's better to be like really avail yourself to the culture of somebody who doesn't look like you and doesn't earn like you, doesn't smell, look, whatever. I mean, you got to earn your beyond just being multi-racial. I encourage y'all to be multi-cultural. And when you, when, you, when you are multi-cultural, that means, speaking of Cracker Barrel, that means that when you leave out of those seats, that you can plant your feet under a table with somebody that does not look like you, doesn't come from where you come from. Because some of us are real comfortable. I'm telling you, I'm speaking from experience. For years, I felt like I paid my dues to go sing background for somebody who didn't look like me. But the rest of my life, I'm hanging out with my folks. My wife, my family, our family, we're going to cook our own Sunday dinner. Yes, when it's time for me to go earn my check, 
I'm going to go work for Michael Carr. And I'm going to stand up with everybody that don't look like me. And it's all good. But as soon as I get off that tour bus, I'm taking myself and I'm hanging out with the brothers and the sisters. But to really embrace racism, it means that y'all are going to have to go. You're going to have to go to Cracker Barrel with him. And y'all sitting next to each other right here, y'all are going to have to, yeah, she needs to come over to your house. Y'all going to keep it real? Are we going to, you know, I mean, and, 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 and that's just how it works because that's when you, man, that's when you really, let me challenge, let me challenge y'all really. And then I'll, don't throw no rocks at me because I'm, I'm too big to hide, it's going to hit me. So let me tell you something. You know when you're giving yourself the gracism, when your precious son or daughter shows up with the love of their life at your house and they don't look like you either. Then talk to me about racism. Then talk to me about how you love Jesus. When your in-law has to not look like you. I'm only saying this because so many times in church, man, we get the warm fuzzies and we get to talking and we hear Dean talking and it's all good because we're under this roof. And yes, my church, we're diverse. It looks like heaven. And we say it looks like heaven, but then we really don't want to be bothered with what that looks like until we get up there. But then how many know we got to avail ourselves to it right here and right now? So, Dean, man, I'm just telling you right now, I, I mean, you, you are my road dog forever. Because he, I'm going to tell you, I ride in the car with him. It is no pretense. We keep it all the way 100. We talk about this stuff. We even go a little deeper than the, everything ain't for public consumption. <laughs> so we say a lot of other stuff that I can't say right here. You know, the Bible says only a fool speaks his whole heart. I'm not going to say everything right here. Some of it is just, we, we know, we're brothers and we get to, and, we, and I challenge him. Banning, y'all know Banning from Jesus Culture. That's how I met him. Because, um. I went to a Jesus Culture uh, conference in, in Atlanta when we lived there, and, and that's how I met Banning, and, and um, we shared, and, and, and God began to knit our hearts, and, and, and that's my brother, too, and, and that's how I met Dean, and Dean picked me up, like he said, at 4.30 in the morning, and I can't stand the morning time, and I just don't like it. I don't like people to talk in the morning, and... Then I got in his car and Dean was like, <laughs> you feel me? Why is he so happy in the morning? See that smile? That's at 4.30. I was like, oh my goodness. Man, let me tell you something. And, and before I got to the airport, I basically was almost in tears because I mean, just... He just disarms you, man. I mean, it just, he's, he's the bomb. And, and I'm telling you, y'all are so blessed to have, he did not ask me to say none of this. But I'm telling you, you're so blessed because so many leaders are afraid now. And it's like sometimes us, you know, us sheep or whatever, we don't really know what to do. We're on social media. I'm home watching CNN. Sometimes when I'm watching CNN, you can ask Banning or Dean. I'll watch CNN and I'll see what's happening in Charlottesville or wherever these places. And I'm just at a loss. And I'll just pull out my phone and just text Banning. I'll say, I got to text some of my white friends right now because I'm getting discouraged. I don't understand. And I'm feeling like I'm about to throw in the towel. I'll text Banning. I'll be like, you better call me on the phone right now. 
Dean, what's up with you? I mean, I got to talk to him and I got to connect because I don't have a lot of people like that I connect with on a personal level. So I'll call them on the phone and be like, you have to call me right now so we can love on each other. Because if we don't, I'm jumping in this mud with the rest of this. You know what I'm talking about. Y'all got to find some people like that that you, because they can't do it with everybody. I mean, that's unrealistic. You know, and some people don't give themselves to racism, Dean, because they feel like they got to forsake their culture. I don't believe that either. A culture is great. I mean, God's not boring. So he can, you know, some people, their culture requires this and you do this. Some people's culture requires this and that. It's different. Come on, embrace the, uh, the you know, the variance of, of, of culture. I'm not saying you got to give up your culture. You know what I'm saying? Some cultures... You know, we need, I mean, if you, Mexican, and this is another thing, y'all, and then I'm going to sit down. Uh, we got to get out of this thing of just black and white. Because there's so many other people, so many other hues, and what are they? They're sitting on the sideline like, well, what about us? So, all I'm saying is, I'm your brother now. Y'all can't be mad at me, and because I know I'm going to end up coming back. Um, yes, I'm inviting myself. And I just want to tell you I love you. And I just give you the challenge to love each other. And especially the people that don't look like you. So this is the challenge this week. I want you to plant your feet. Even if it's in, in their den or in somebody's house, that would be really good. But if you can't, I want you to find somebody that doesn't look like you and don't come where you come from. And I want you to get in the culture, get your culture with theirs and get it in public, whether it's with Cracker Barrel, whatever the restaurants are out here and get together and just love on each other and listen, you know, just listen to each other and where you come from and try to learn and understand each other. Cause a lot of this is just based in ignorance because we don't know where people come from and we don't understand how they feel. But that requires talking and relating to each other. It's more than just coming in here, lifting our hands together and singing these songs together and listening to Dean together. And then we get in our car and go back to our corner. Just mix the corners up this week. Anybody, anybody willing to do that? Let me just hold you real accountable. Anybody willing to do that? Is there anybody here? Let's just really press the envelope. Anybody here that says, I'm down with that, but I really don't know where to start or where to begin. And I don't have anybody really to ask to do that. Is there anybody like that? That's him. So check it out. Stand up. Praise God for the honesty. So check it out. Now the lighting is kind of dim. You don't look like you're white. Your skin kind of... Somebody who does not look like him and it's not his background, you got to find him after church. And you got to make the commitment to connect. It's, a, it's not that deep. It's just, just connect. Is that all good? What's your name? Harold? Daryl. Don't you want to take Daryl to coffee? Don't you want to go to coffee with Daryl? What's your name? What's your name? What's your name? Right here, dude. Right here. Gabe. Andrew, Daryl, Andrew gonna take you to Starbucks. Yeah. 
I'll pay for it. If you order more than two cups of coffee, you're on your own. Man, I love y'all. Thanks. Praise God.